The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Blood, Sweat, and Tears was co-founded by drummer Bobby Columbi in New York City in 1967 and known for such hits as Spinning Wheel and When I Die and You've Made Me So Very Happy. What you may not have known about the band was the political situation they were embroiled in during their 1970 tour, which essentially was thrust upon them by the State Department. It's all laid out in this brand new documentary titled What the Hell Happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears? I've got drummer Bobby Columbi on the line right now. Bobby, welcome to the show, and congratulations on this film. Boy, is it ever getting a lot of buzz, huh? Well, it's uh, happily so. I don't have a financial stake in it, but it is a story that needed to be told. And uh, I know when I saw the like finished version of it, yeah. and I was yeah. there, I just... Oh my God, all of that happened. Holy smokes. (laughs) Well, I only heard rumors about the weirdness that occurred during Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I guess it was the 1970 tour, which kind of brings it into focus with this documentary called What the Hell Happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Essentially, a tour underwritten by the State Department, yes? Um, We really didn't have an option. What happened is, you know, again, shockingly, we had hit records. We were a bunch of musicians that were hoping that we could kind of have an effect on music and inspire people to listen to other types of music, other musicians and other uh, uh, genres. And that was our win. You know, if someone said, hey, man, I started listening to Miles Davis because of you guys. That's great. That's what I want. I I, I started arranging and and my band doesn't only have a guitar and a a keyboard and, and drums and bass. We tried other things. That was what we hoped would happen. The fact that we had hit records was astonishing. But then we had hits, and we were outspoken, 1970, against the war yeah. in Vietnam, against the Nixon administration, but not as a, as a group. It was individuals. And, and, and it's always bizarre when you, when you realize that they would go to rock musicians for advice politically. It was uh-huh. ridiculous. So, so, but we you know, individually said, hey, this war is bad. Now, a singer's Canadian, and some right-winger probably said, well, who is this guy think he is telling us what to do? Let's investigate. They find out he has a prison record in Canada, and they pull his green card, which enables you to play in the United States. You're talking about David Clayton Thomas here. That's correct, and we have a number one album, and we can't play in America. What happens is someone calls someone, the State Department says, hey, we got an idea. Why don't you do this tour of, of Yugoslavia, Romania, and Poland, um, and we'll sponsor it, and uh, and we'll see if we get the guy the green card back. Again, no <laughs> options. We had to do it, and we couldn't tell anyone. Quit wow. pro quo. You know, yeah, and, and another way to say kind of, uh, you know, a backdoor blackmail situation, right? Well, that, that you know, everything's implied. We knew yeah. we can't say anything. They didn't say don't say anything, but we knew if we did, I guess the green card would be gone again. And you're playing in places like Romania, which, as you have described, is just a horrific place at the time. I mean, the things that you saw, right? It was the Dark Ages. I mean, yeah. so, okay, so we have three countries. Yugoslavia, really a socialist state. Romania, under the thumb of a dictator locally and from Russia. And then we had Poland, brilliant people, 
uh, inspiring people, beautiful people, uh, evolved, and they knew all about our music. They, you know, I mean, it's the home of Chopin, for God's sakes. So, you know, they, they, you know, they were, and they were outspoken against the Russians. And they, you know, had a wonderful underground with great films and music. So there were three different types of communism. That's what we saw. But we knew one thing. We came back and said, no matter how messed up it is here, no matter how bad, like no matter how much racism and Nixon being a, you know, a bad guy and the war in Vietnam being horrible, no matter what, we don't want communism. We saw it. That's yeah. not going to work here. That's a nightmare. And as soon as we did that, the extreme left wing said, wait a minute, that's, that's our you know, ticket. That's how we get paid. <laughs> you know, so all of a sudden, Abby Hoffman and company and the Yippies, they turn on us. They say, well, you guys are tools of the government, blah, blah, blah. And we were caught in the middle of the extremists on the right and the left. They didn't see what you saw. So you come back to the no. country. And yeah. I know that one of the first things you did was you played a sold out show at Madison Square Garden. But like you say, there yeah. were protests outside. Abby Hoffman's out there with signs saying blood, sweat and BS. Um, and we're, you know, playing again. I'm, I actually brought my mother to that show. I'm from New York. And I, I, I mean, I had to cover her eyes. I don't want to, her to see these these signs and these pamphlets are being handed out. And it, it was really weird. And, and, but we knew as soon as we stepped off the plane after this tour, we were blindsided by a press conference and the questions were so negative and so awful. The way they were actually like presented to us, we knew there was a problem. I loved you guys so much back then that I had an argument with my parents about rather than going to my college graduation ceremony, there was a blood, sweat, and tears concert that I wanted to go to. And that argument went on for quite a bit. They eventually won, but that's how big you were in my world. Well, can I ask you a question? Where'd you grow up? In Wisconsin. You guys were going to be playing in Milwaukee, I guess it was. Yeah, you know what's so funny about this? I actually remember a lot of the shows we did as either really good or, or never had a bad show. We, we were pretty much really, really good live. That's what the, for me, this is 50 years ago. I'm really proud of what this band accomplished. This was a great, speaking of Las Vegas, where you are now, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, we were the first pop band to play in Las Vegas. We played Caesar's Palace. And we did it knowing it would affect the counterculture. They'd get pissed off at us. But our attitude about it was, you know, if we play there, it'll open the door to other kinds of music other than Sinatra, Steve and Edie, yeah. Wayne Newton. You know, and we would open the door. Our next gig was the Fillmore East. So we weren't going to abandon anyone. But we had a blast playing in Las Vegas. It was great, great audiences. And it worked. And now look at who plays there. Yeah. And to to take people back a little bit, I mean, you were the innovators. You were the rock and horn band. The first time we had seen that, it was in 1968, I guess your first album was. And then the second album, you could say you really exploded with all those hits. You make me so very happy, Spinning Wheel and the rest. How did you come to find out about David Clayton Thomas and hire him to be your lead singer? Well, the first album, um, Al Cooper was the leader of the band. He kind of right. like, took it over. It was yeah. not what I had planned for the band, but he had a different agenda, and it was you know mostly about him. Actually, there's a song on the album where he didn't even include another band member. 
and Randy Brecker, who's arguably one of the best trumpet players ever, yep. was in the band, and he, and he plays about four bars. And I, I knew, I said, man, this band's not going to work. Plus, I was not a fan of Al singing. And I thought, that voice is not going to get on the radio. No way. So we had a band meeting. Steve Katz and I called the meeting, and we got together, and we said to Al, we need, we need a real lead singer. We need to have one. You don't have to lead the band, but we have to have a singer, or we're just not going to be successful. And that album was not successful, the first one. And uh, Al said, if I'm, not, if I'm not the singer, I'm leaving. So he leaves. And that was it. And that was always kind of his, his plan. And then we, Steve and I had heard, uh, we heard David at a club in New York. And we was far away from the stage. And we're talking to one another. And a speaker, a house speaker, right over Steve's head is, is blasting. And I'm hearing Bobby Blue Bland or Ray Charles. I'm going... And then I look at the stage, and there's a guy up there who looks like a lumberjack. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, it made no sense. It really didn't. But he was so badass. And, and then eventually he said, let's get that guy. Let's see what happens. And we did. And uh, we knew, you know, four bars into him singing that he was the guy. A great singer, powerful blues-based, soulful. It's, it's everything our band needed. Um, before I let you go, because we're running short of time, okay. you, perf you performed at Woodstock. I know that you guys were fantastic, but like many bands, uh, your management refused to participate in the film, which at the time seemed like the right thing to do, right? Because they weren't going to really pay you enough to do that. Well, also, we didn't know it was Woodstock. It was right. another <laughs> show with a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, you know, Albert Grossman, a brilliant manager who had Bob Dylan, had Joplin, the band, etc. You know, they went to him, our manager idolized him and was standing next to Albert, Albert. And they go to him and he says, what's all this uh, filming? And they said, well, we're going to do a movie. And uh, he said, wait a minute, my acts are starring in this movie. What are you paying us? Oh, half of your fee. Like Jazz was going to get like three grand or something to uh -huh. start a movie. And our manager's standing right there going, yep, same here, we're not doing it. Well, the great Bobby Columbi's What the Hell Happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears, the documentary now in theaters. You can find out more at bstdoc.com. Bobby, such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, and good luck with the doc. Well, thanks for your time, Jim. Bye. Man, I cannot wait to see this film now playing in theaters. And you know, it wasn't too much longer after all that chaos happened that four of the band members left to do other things. Bobby Columbi would go on to produce and become a music correspondent for CBS Morning News and Entertainment Tonight. Other interesting facts are that he edited Tina Turner's song, You Better Be Good to Me. Oh, and did you know that for a while, Bobby dated actress Pam Greer, Bobby's older brother, managed jazz legend Theolonious Monk. Incredible. That finishes this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks for stopping by. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.